Hello, and welcome to the Proofs of Learn podcast with myself, James Shaw, and Michael McLaughlin. Life doesn't come with a manual, and the premise of Proofs of Learn is following the loss of close family is to pass on some life lessons to our respective children. The issue being, we've only lived our lives so far, so why not get some lessons from other people that have been there, done that, and got the t-shirt? If you like the podcast, please remember to subscribe, like, and follow. It really does make a big difference. This episode of Previously Learn, we had the fortune and privilege to be joined by award-winning author, physical trauma navigator, coach, and TEDx speaker, Mark Berridge. Mark suffered a life-changing bike injury. And from there, he tells us his story and the inspiration that we got from that was absolutely amazing. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. As always, please remember to like, subscribe, and follow. So, Mark Barrett, welcome to the Previous Event Podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, an absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks very much. Yeah, going okay. Good stuff. Good. So, obviously, Previous Event, it's all about life lessons. Um, and Mike and I, um, well, I lost my parents fairly recently. Mike lost his father fairly recently. So, it's all about passing on life lessons to our kids because my kids certainly don't listen to me. I don't know about Mike's. But um, so, with that in mind, can you remember any advice when you were younger that you had passed on? Well, I think firstly, I think the kids do listen, whether or not they respond in the moment. It might just take a while to, to come back and maybe we were all a bit like that. So for me, uh, I think, um, you know, I had a, a like a step-grandma, um, uh, my, my mother's mother had passed away young and she'd been ex-Navy and she was pretty, um, I don't know, straight at it. So she was always good for advice. She, whether you were asking for it or not, it was coming. And so I think I probably picked up different things from her, but I can't really remember spe- specifics. For me, I think it's that, you know, just immersing yourself in life and the, the people you meet in your sporting teams through your work and the leaders, the um, the friends that check, check in on you at university or, at, or you know, one of the... Um, I guess, formative years you're having. Um, they're, they're all the ones, I think, that have had the biggest influence on me over time as opposed to a very specific, you know, person or event. I have a little bit of an intro. So you had a, um, a very high-powered corporate career. Unfortunately, it comes to an abrupt end. Um, 2019, was it? Yeah. And you're now an author. Uh, you've written A Fraction Stronger and a speaker and recently partaken in TEDx in Brisbane. Yeah. How did you end up doing what you're doing? And it all come about. Yeah, well, uh, I love to go the dad jokes, right? Back to the the kids. I I fell into it. I'm an accidental author. Um, uh, like yeah, growing up, I wasn't really sure um, what I was going to be. I guess when you come to the end of uh, end of high school, I just felt like I wanted to do something in business and have some impact in that way. And that led on to a career with Rio Tinto. So I had opportunities to live around and work around the world, and that led on to. Yeah, a lot of sales, uh, account management, negotiation, and uh, I guess I was yeah continuing to do you know business improvement, uh, commercial optimization type work for them and for other companies at the point in time that unfortunately halfway through a you know very standard Sunday ride for me, so sort of forty miles, seventy kilometres, um, your yeah, bike hit a bit of a shallow indentation in the road and the front wheel lost a bit of traction and made a control controlled crash decision. Um, that the park straight ahead looked better than my other crash options, but unfortunately found a stormwater drain that was five foot below ground level. So, yeah, that really got me to do what I'm doing now, which is trying to have an impact on other people's lives because a lot of people came into 
hospital and and other um, did other things that helped have an impact on me in that you know pretty tough period. Mm. Oh, thank you. I, I I've read your book. It's a very good book. And uh, oh, thank you. you know, no, but just the positivity that comes from it and the inspiration is fantastic. Really, really recommend it. It's a fraction stronger. Um, for some people that haven't, if you don't mind talking about, it, for some people that haven't read it, how bad was the accident? That's all right. Yeah, well, at the, the point in time, I don't know that we knew it was that bad. I mean, a few of the boys were lurching around taking photos of me, which uh, when they started um, coming into my WhatsApp feed in hospital uh, a couple of hours later, I was going, I don't want to see these, um, of me lying around looking pretty sore and sorry. But you know, part of it was we just didn't quite realise. I mean, I was really trying to put the brave face on, you know, in in the ditch and while well, we're waiting for the ambulance, but I really couldn't breathe. And... Uh, when I later on found out that uh, you know I had three fractured ribs, fractured left scapula, fractured left wrist, uh, two crushed vertebrae, um, and some spinal cord damage, I, I guess I assumed it was just oh, it was the ribs that had caused me to have trouble breathing. But apparently that was only part of the problem. So because if you take your hand and put it on your rib cage and then roll it round to the your spine about that point, that's the two vertebrae are crushed badly, one to forty percent of its original height. Um, so basically a piece that's about a centimetre cubed went into the spinal cord area, compressed the spinal cord to 20% of its normal diameter. Um, and yeah, I guess yeah, all that impact meant that the body is an incredible thing and it, it went into protective mode. So it's closed down and all those micro muscles in that part of my body have just basically shut down for actually for months um, to control... Um, I guess the body from not moving and protecting that part of the spine, which protected me from further injury. So in the ditch, yeah, we didn't realize it was quite that bad. I just desperately try to breathe and to, um, you know, keep my mind on more positive things, try and find some jokes with the boys, do anything I could do to, to not think about the consequences of, of just why the pain was so bad and, um, and yeah, how it might be. And then of course, you know, uh, that, so that happened, we called the ambulance about six, seventeen in the morning. And I think it was probably an hour before I'm fully presented in hospital, and um, we must have got the scan results from the um, the doctors around ten. I don't really recall exactly the time, but that's about when Lucy, uh, my wife, uh, left the hospital. So that would have been not long after we'd got the news. When she had the joy of then going home and trying to tell our three children that their dad hadn't had the most successful ride that that morning. So uh, I can't even imagine how hard that was. I mean, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, but you know what she had to go through was probably even harder. Mm. Well, it's going to sound like a stupid question, but were you scared at the time, or could you appreciate the severity at the time? I couldn't appreciate it in the ditch, I don't think. I was definitely scared. Yeah, my mind's catastrophizing, and I was supposed to be flying to Salt Lake City for work that night um, on a project from Brisbane, Australia, to through LAX to Salt Lake. Um, so, you know, almost immediately I'm just going, I know I'm not making this flight. Like, I know it's, I know it's very severe. And, um, but yeah, obviously I, I was never, exp I think because at some point, um, I'd like, I never tried to move in the ditch. I just sort of felt like, I don't know whether I, the body didn't want to, like it's smart enough to go, don't move. Or I tried to move in some way and didn't, couldn't, but I, I think the pain was just so bad. I just didn't even try and move. And then, um, yeah, at some point I think probably the paramedics, although I, I, I thought it was the one of our physios beforehand got me to ask me whether or not I could flex my um, my toes, and I could. So I was never thinking spinal cord damage, and 
that you know I, I can't ever recall having any thoughts about that. In fact, I think later on, um, you know, maybe even eighteen months or something later, I was speaking to one of the, to the we had a nurse writing with us, and I was speaking to him, and he said, "Yeah, that you had me worried at the point in time you said you had pins and needles in your legs." And I'm thinking I kind of remember saying that I had any pins and needles in my legs, and I think if if I did, I was just associating that with lying on my side and you know being you know for 15 minutes or something so yeah had no idea of the severity and i think that made it so much worse when i heard it it just went into shock you know for, for quite a while really obviously major major accident no understatement in hospital <laughs> how how did you keep the hope going i mean because the book is all about hope to me i mean it's, it's really inspirational in that respect but how how did you keep that hope going yourself? Well, I think you got to get it going. I mean, I, I don't think I had it at the start. It took, like, I really can't remember too much of those first couple of hours. I think it took me a while to really generate some hope. And there's probably a few different things. I mean, you're sort of um, initially feeling so deflated and you're catastrophizing that, you know, we're going to have to sell a house because I can't get up the stairs in our house. And, you know, your eldest child was in final year of school. And the next one's in the second final year of school. You go and, you know, I've, accidentally you know just through this pure accident we've disrupted life and all the balance that we've got going on and we had a really busy life you know three kids all doing lots of sport so i'm immediately seeing all these negative things and the extent of these negative things i'm not going to be able to have the retirement i hope to and i've worked so hard to be able to enjoy this stuff traveling the world i'm not going to be able to have it in the same way i'm not going to you know should it be part of our futures i'm not going to walk my daughter down the aisle in the way i might have hoped you know all of these things are going through my mind and then i started to at some point i Go, well, okay, feeling pretty sorry for yourself here, Mark. You know, what can you do about this? All right. What can you control? Um, and okay, let's start thinking about people that have been in a really even tougher position and how they found a way through it. You don't know what they did, but if you can imagine the sort of things they might have done, if you can try and re replicate the attitude they might have taken to their situation, then you're a chance here. How do you do that? And I started visualizing some people I'd seen speak before. My wife had been through cancer. I visualized the way she sort of handled that journey and used that as inspiration. So I'd, I'd say I sort of started to develop this hope. And, um, you, you know, life, I think life is about choices. And and I sort of generated this, I can choose to go over here and give it my best shot. Or I can choose to stay where I am and I hate where I am. And I'm not going to be very happy with that. And even if I give it my all and make no progress, I'll be a happier individual for the rest of my life having cracked in and tried to make some improvement over just wallowing here and hating it and so i sort of painted that choice of mark you really don't want to be where you are so you've got to find a way to move yourself forward in some way shape or form and then i use that hope to sort of drive that way forward was that, was that linear i mean like obviously no. good and bad days and mm. so i actually think i mean it's hard to tell and didn't really journal well i did write down some notes uh, for uh, once I could start to type into my iPad, I wrote down some notes uh, for, for about the first six weeks. So sometimes daily, sometimes every second or third day. And I, and I probably had to wait about 10 days before I could sort of start to type in the first of those notes because I just couldn't hold the iPad or, or use my right hand very well. And I couldn't use the left hand at all, really. Left side. Um, so I think actually the waking up after the operation was worse than the first day because <laughs> the first day I felt really sorry for myself, but then I found this hope. But then, of course, I wake up from the operation, I actually realize how bloody hard it is, you know? And then the next day, uh, they stand me up for the first time. And, you know, I've already had lots of issues just even lying in the bed from dizziness because of the um, the vertigo that I had, benign 
BVPP or whatever it is, for the benign vertigo from the head knock. And, you know, just basically any movement would make me dizzy, et cetera. And then, you know, they're standing up and, my, and I basically got no idea how to control my legs below me and they're shaking wildly and I can't, like, I just can't almost physically hold myself up and I'm using my arms. So every one of those sort of days had big ticket moments of the hope going through the floor and you just got to find a way to pick yourself up and go again and pick yourself up and go again. But even setting aside the big moments, you know, there was always just ups and downs and, you know, periods where I was having a bit of a wallow and a bit of feeling sorry for myself and periods where I go, right, let's rip in and, and you know, make the momentum when we've got it. And I think anytime you're tackling something hard or fearful, it is important we do that. That when we've, it's almost like ride the tide, like when the, momentum's with you and you can feel a bit more positive about taking action do whatever you can do when the tide's a bit against you and you're feeling a bit down how do i just mitigate that effect on me and not let it rip me away um and just you know just get through it a little bit just go okay what's the smallest thing smallest action i can do at the moment to not lose ground you know I mean, it might just be breathe and for me yeah definitely on that first stage it was just how do i breathe how do i breathe as deeply as possible because I'm going to have a harder time moving forward if I end up with further complications because I can't use my lungs well. So just, I don't care how much it hurts. Breathe as deeply as you can. I don't care if it hurts more to sit up with a better angle than lying flat. Sit up. Your lungs are going to be better. So yeah, all that sort of stuff. So lots of little, little things. Did you kind of have that mindset before the accident as well though? Or did the accident give you that mindset? I think we've all got that mindset to a degree. Um... So for me, I would say that all the things I've went through in life, you know, the sporting, all the sporting conquests, all the um, stuff you've gone through in work and the tougher days, all of that, I, I, I lent on all of those things at different stages of thinking back to, oh, you know, this anxious time at work, this complicated issue, you know, we found a way through that. Um, so I think it just builds up in us over time. And, you know, um, some people say, oh, you know, you're uh, – you know, it's so much easier to recover from something when you're young. It's true. But at the same time, you know, when you're older, you get this probably a bit more experience of all the tough things you have been through that helps you. So I think with, you know, in both cases, you've got some of that, um, you know, knowledge of having gone through tough things before that can help you and some of that physical capability that will help you through it. And, you know, maybe they offset each other to a degree. And for me, I had to rely a lot on that memories of tough stuff I'd been through before. A, I get really, always been pretty persistent. There's, there's a really interesting quote to, uh, the, you've got in one of your blogs that says, after the article, uh, to begin with, I aimed as high as I could imagine, but then I also resolved that I could find peace with any outcome provided a committed to try, um, which you yeah. kind of mentioned. What? How did you set your goals to be successful? What was the sort of process you went through to setting those goals? At the very start, so they basically said binary situation, you've got no choice but to put two 23-centimetre rods into your back to give yourself some hope of walking again. That operation successful, we'll start to evaluate how bad the damage is and what your way forward is. Um, without our operation, no chance of walking. So, you know, prior to that, I would have always said, please don't ever operate my back. If there's anything, I could go to the physio all week, but please never operate on my back. But in an instant, I've got no choice. First step for any progress is um, is operate on the back. And so once I sort of got my headspace in that, well, that's my first thing. And then there's some hope. Well, okay, what's the greatest, you know, what's the highest I can imagine myself? And I could, I actually sent out a text to my, my cycling buddy saying, 
you know, if I work hard, I might be um, might an almost full recovery. And that was the best I could visualize at that point in time. I couldn't ever see myself walking perfectly again based on what they told me, which was probably I was going to be probably in a wheelchair some of the time and probably using uh, some sort of, you know, walking aid like crutches for short distances or something. That was sort of the Im- image I had of the most likely. But there was a lot of ambiguity. They, the harder I tried to push for consist- uh, for certainty, because I was so panicked that I wanted more certainty. And the harder I pushed for certainty, the less certainty I was getting out of them. And eventually I flipped that into, okay, well, that's an opportunity. That ambiguity is actually my chance. How do I then find a way to use that ambiguity? And I use that ambiguity to say, how do I aim as high as I could imagine? And yeah, I think then that meant that I then um, also then coming with that, I had to say, well, if you're going to aim that high, in all reality, you're not going to make it. So how do you find a way to be okay with aiming that high, but not making it? Now, didn't mean I was going to accept not making it. I was going to give my all to to make it. But I also had to find the conditions where I wasn't going to beat myself up for the rest of my life, because that's probably my personality type to some degree. You know, high achievement, because I am self-critical at different stages. And I go, okay, the conditions I'm happy here is, uh, even if I don't improve at all, I'm okay if I've given up my best. So I sort of use those two things, I guess, in balance of, um, <laughs> I've got to be okay no matter what happens because they've told me that that's where it's at. And how do I visualize a way where, yeah, I can still probably dress myself. I can probably still shower myself. I can probably still drive the kids to sport, given the prognosis you've given me as being a, a probable. If I can find a way to make that almost palatable that I can live with, I have tried my hardest to get you know to get better, but that's what it is, and I can visualize a way that's okay. That's my safe ground at the bottom end of the curve, and then how do I stretch myself up as high as possible to where I'd really like to be, which is, um, I don't don't know that I was visualizing running at that point in time, but I was certainly visualizing, you know, basically being able to get back out on the bike with the boys, being able to walk around okay, and of course I had. Ignorance helped me. I had no idea of quite how complicated it is to learn how to walk again, or even as we talked about before, you know, just how crap I would feel post that operation and how impossible any movement was going to be. And yeah, so I just yeah had to keep. Um, I, people helped me. Uh, I guess as I woke up and you know found those sort of difficult situations, people came in the hospital, found g- gave me hope as well. So it was kind of like a visualizing small wins, but I think harder. Beyond, beyond the yeah, I really love that. And I absolutely visualized, you know, visualized as high as possible. I was visualizing myself walking. I was actually visualizing that as well. But I was also visualizing the, you know, how I'd find a way to be um, okay, even in a really tough mobility basis. And I think uh, just pausing for a minute into a slightly different thing. I think the world's a bit harsh like that. In that, you know, yes, we see some sporting role models of of people with. Um, you know, big physical impairments, but a lot of the role models we do see are pretty negatively portrayed on TV and other things of a life in ruined, et cetera. And I think, you know, that in some ways it spurned me to avoid that stereotype, but it's pretty awful that we actually have that stereotype and it would have been nicer if I had been in a um, position where no matter what happened, I was probably more peaceful with the mobility outcomes rather than being so fearful of, of them you know, even as I said, even though it helped me to drive me to to really um, try and regain as much of what I identified with in terms of physical capability, um, 
yeah, do we really need to make it that scary and that awful in terms of the stereotype we paint for people of of life? Because certainly mm. post my injury, yes, I've been fortunate with my own recovery, but I've seen so many people that are just the best people in the world living amazing happy lives with you know in very very tough circumstances that, that people might go well how, how are you so positive and so wonderful in those situations but they just are and they're infectious to be around because of the way they just embrace life no matter what hand they've been dealt it's infectious whether it's negativity or positivity it's infectious so you might as well easy said and done in times but take the positive side because that's going to bring someone else up and it's all it all goes around with a smile no, it's easy said and done but it's I fully get it, and this is you know part of what you're doing here, right? And how do we have that, you know, see different perspectives and um, you know different other ways people have got through things and and the attitudes they've used, and it's infectious to yourself. Like obviously the your negative thoughts, you know, where they say we need um, five or four positive thoughts to a you know weigh off every negative thought we have, and we're pretty good at generating you know those automatic negative thoughts. Um, so it's really important on yourself, but it's also important on the help other people that are helping you, and I. And I think I worked that out pretty early was that um, how much the nurses and the physios appreciate it when I was giving it my all. And that actually made them more positive in the whole interaction with me, which made me more positive to about yeah. trying harder again. And it was like, a I don't know, sometimes I think life can be a bit like a fox. You know, come back to your point about infection, you know, whether it's infectious or what, it's like a fly where we get some momentum into something good and it keeps going, you know, that way. And and for me, yeah, a lot of people helped me with that momentum in my flywheel to keep me going forward. I love the – you made me smile earlier on when you said the, the boys were taking pictures and, um, you know, you just set up a WhatsApp group by the time you were in hospital. And, and I, I think there's there's a lot in there. Do you think certainly on the male side of things, that's the way that we kind of deal with these kind of things and maybe don't take it too seriously enough? Um, and what sort of things do you think men kind of do when they're doing that? Because I, because I could imagine, not me, not necessarily cycling with James, but I could imagine me taking a picture of James after he's fallen off his bike, um, and you know, and taking the piss at the time. I always forget the whoever it was, but you know, you know, we all know how brave the Tour de the France athletes are. You know, both in terms of just their absolute resilience to ride the way they do, but but also some of that downhilling they do at you mm -hmm. know hundred k an hour. Just incredible. Anyway, so one of the mates, uh, very nicely, I think even on the first day, he's actually put in the WhatsApp group some, you know, very famous stack of, uh, I always forget who it was, um, of, a few years ago of uh, yeah, a downhill descent where he's gone over this uh, brick wall and managed to get up with no injury, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be sharing it, but you go, I need to see this now. But it does sort of help in some ways because at least you'd, I feel like any of those situations where it was something I didn't want to talk about or I didn't want to deal with, just by it sort of almost being brought to the surface, like my emotions responding to that in a negative way of I don't want to see that, it helps me recognize the emotions there. It helps me, even if I'm not prepared to deal with that emotion today, helps me realize the emotions there and at some point in time I've got to come back and deal with it. And yeah, I think definitely, um, you know, and look, we we love stereotypes because you know generalizations make things easier at different stages. But um, you know, blokes do like to be you know, really think that they're superhuman, and and in some ways that helped me. You know, saying that's the way I'm going to outperform this prognosis. That's how I'm going to do better. Um, and with that comes pride, and with pride comes when you're so fractured and everything's gone wrong in a situation, as 
I felt at that point in time feeling so broken, you can actually want to cling on to that last bit of pride you've got and that causes you to want to isolate yourself further, which is actually the worst thing you need to do at that point in time. What you actually need to do is find a way to open up, et cetera. And uh, coming back, Michael, to the question, you know, then having a chat, whatever way it is that at least whether it be in a joking form as I did, like, you know, with the first message to the um, the the boys, the cycling boys, where I'm crying my eyes out as a type and I was really deliberate with the language I used because I didn't want to be too negative because I knew that if I was negative with the language, it would have an impact on me as well as on them. You know, so really very selective about the way I wrote those words, even though at that point all I could barely hold my phone, let alone see it, and just thumbing it with this one thumb, and it was a pretty horrible process. But I threw in there the joke that, the operation would only go ahead once Lucy had come back from Bunnings, which is our hardware store, you know, with the, the rods and screws they needed for the operation. And in some ways that helped me just deal with the, the situation just by making light of it. So, yeah, I think it's important to us. And not you know, not just us, humour helps uh, helps people get through a lot of things. I was having a chat to you know, a lady um, who's had a really you know tough situation with her um, you know, brain injuries and and spinal injuries uh, yesterday, and uh, she was saying how important humour is to her, t- just the same as it was to me. And it just it's lovely because it made me reflect on all those moments when I was feeling really crappy, and the humour, all the um, the exchanges, such as we've just talked about, helped me. It reminds me of the time you broke your leg, James, and uh, we were very supportive, weren't we? You th- yeah, well, it's no, it's no comparison at all, Mark. I'm not even... No, not at all. We're never trying to compare, though. Compar- comparisons are, are unhealthy anyway, because it, we, we've, all we've got to do is find the strength that we need to get through the moment we're in. And if, you know, so it comes a bit of, you know, um, banter from the boys as you get through it, then, you know, that helps. Banter? Banter? They left me on the pitch. They didn't believe my leg was broken, so I didn't shout out or anything. They left me on the pitch. I had to walk myself to the hospital with a broken leg. I need one to come back in the car so they believe me. Yeah, and then, that's not so good. No, even then, we were, sorry, I'm on a high horse now. We went on tour. They put me in a wheelchair and left me on the beach. And I couldn't get off the beach. These are mates. Yeah, I think we've all got plenty of stories. My, my poor son, who's a wicked keeper at cricket, uh, you know, he's playing his first debut game for the second 11 at school and, uh, and uh, yeah, copped a bad one on the finger and we had a bit of a look at it, it goes all right and sent him back out there to keep another 30 overs. And uh, then he went out and scored some runs to to help the team win at the death, I think, just hung in there. And, uh, yeah, then we went, uh, kept being pretty sore that night. So we had to take him to the hospital. And, yeah, yeah, he'd kept it with fractured hand. Yeah, nice. Sorry, Luke. Anyway, it's a bit <laughs> and we wouldn't be alone. There's so many of those stories. And then, yeah, not just male-oriented. They, just, they do happen, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he wrote a book. He's not he's not bitter about this, by the way, as you can tell. <laughs> no, you probably go. That, like, that was like sixteen, seventeen years ago. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told you about my leg. That's not that's story. So you, you, you wrote a book, Fracting Stronger, and then went on to um uh, the talking did a TEDx recently. How did that all come yep. about? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, as Joe sort of fell into it from falling off the bike, uh, try to go back to um, consulting, back to Rio Tinto, who's main, yeah. you know, my main historical employer in 2020, which is yeah, basically the year following the accident, so 2020, 2019, basically full-time recovery. And then 2020, started to go back doing some part-time work, 
and yeah, just really was was struggling emotionally, physically, etc. I had to have another operation to take the rods back out of my back. And um, during yeah, 2020, I, I wrote my first sort of article about what I'd gone through. I hadn't really been very um, beyond you know our immediate community where we had amazing support. I hadn't really been very forthright at that. I'd sort of disappeared off the work scene for a bit. So put that out there and. People encouraged me to write and speak more. So I guess that was really the start of it. And yeah, um, character type, I guess, at the start of probably just, you know, who would read it, um, you know, just cheap and cheerful. And yeah, over time, um, got more of my momentum into trying to do it as well as I possibly could do. And um, you know, with the idea of just trying to have a positive impact on a few lives and probably a little bit idealistic of, you know, for me, um, trying hard was my salvation. It was my way forward from from the situation I was in, but I could see other people in hospital where that trying hard was just a little bit more complicated. You know, they just didn't have the same desire to get back to where they were. Perhaps in life hadn't dealt them as much much as a good hand before. And the idea was, you know, maybe I could just find a bit more momentum for a few other people if they had a read. Um, you know, so sometimes people with the momentum, how do I find a way to for them to really believe that they're stronger than they are and, and maybe give them a few tips and tricks and things that work for me to to actually, I guess, take even more advantage of that momentum they've got, or for others who find it harder to generate the momentum, maybe the book would just spark a few, and we would spark a few lives. That's a pretty impressive thing for for them and for everyone that loves them, right? No, but I say it's a really good book. I, positivity on you can actually from page one, even when you're talking about the accident, that you could still the underlying there's put. You could see that you wanted to get the recovery and the hope there that it's there with it. Did. <sighs> With the with the talking and like uh, the one you recently did in Brisbane, how did you find that? It was like a completely different mindset for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I guess you know, it's relatively senior leader within Rio Tinto in particular, but you know, had done quite a bit of corporate, you know, presentations to people, to teams, etc. But um, it never, yeah, telling a personal story on stage. You know, nothing I'd ever really thought about and so started trying to do a few trials of that in 2020 got a bit of momentum and then a few more during um yeah, 2021 and yeah decided got a bit more comfortable with it over time um 10x sort of come up in June this year um phone call saying would you be interested in being part of this and yeah I put a huge amount of effort in to try and do it as well as possible and uh, um probably I've been a little bit harsh on myself since. I just uh, you have an ideal and of the way I wanted to do the performance, and and maybe the first minute I was just emotionally a bit tenser than I expected, and or you know, not that I didn't expect. I I was always working really hard to try and manage that, so I didn't quite come across my my conversational warmth. I think at the very start of the speech that I would have liked to, but maybe the speech will be even better for uh, my fragility than. Uh, than the one I envisaged giving, and of course, there's no there's no other option, right? We've got the one I did. Um, it was an amazing experience. The, the cohort I met were just so incredible, and they're just achieving amazing things. And um, yeah, absolutely privileged to have the opportunity to to share a little bit of my story. I just a relatively quick speech for me, six minutes. Um, called "You Can Do Hard Things." Um, I know you can do hard things because I I did a hard thing. Um, was really, I guess, the crux of the speech and a few things that worked for me, which we've already covered, like aiming high, little actions, um, embracing support and bloody celebrate everything, celebrate all progress, celebrate the way you t you turned up. Um, you know, they're really important. And yeah, I think they're probably the main themes of the speech. Awesome stuff. Yeah, take the wind, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because, because we, it again, comes back to that momentum, right? How do we... 
um, you know, notice change and notice effort in our friends, you know, whether it be that they're lying on the, the rugby field pretending they've got a broken leg or whatever it is we can notice in them. Retarding. I feel, by the way, I need to do something. The physio said he didn't have a broken leg. So that's it. He was pretending as until the car came out. Well, hang on, hang on. This is the same physio that asked someone, have they got DVT because they've been out of stepladder recently? <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> have you ever been subbed off a, off a pitch and replaced by a sports bag? I mean, I did once. So the, the, if you haven't done that, then your friends really aren't trying to get up you. Um, so, yeah, I used to captain the team in Hong Kong for quite a few years. We had a great team. We amazing team culture and we outperformed. <laughs> we went to Bangkok for a, a hockey tournament, a hockey tennis tournament or something. And, uh, yeah, it's fair to say that I was a little bit hungover for our two uh, early morning games on uh, Sunday and for one of those, apparently I was playing so badly that the uh, the, the then coach, who was one of my normal players, so obviously getting some um, retaliation for past injustices of me coaching him, uh, decided to pull me to the sideline and throw a sports bag on. And there you go, the team is playing better. <laughs> I love it. All the, and these are all the great memories. I mean, when, when something tough happens to you, like happened to me, these are the great moments, you know. I walked myself to hospital with a broken leg. These are the moments that help you remember why it's great to be alive and um, you know, the stuff we can go through and then the, the the fun that's had with all those moments in the future after them, even if it wasn't the fun of the moment. You know, these are, to me, that's life. And um, yeah, and all those moments and those happy, you know, I call them embers in the book, as you know, uh, you know, the, the embers of your identity, the things that are really core to you and they might be pretty faint, but you can find a way to rekindle them when you need them. And they're the things that power you on when you need a bit of motivation. Oh, that brings up a, a really important point. You talk about the importance of embracing our identity and accumulating these powerful memories. I I, I love that. And, and and James and I think back, um, I have a few beers, and those silly things like James actually having a broken leg um, that comes down, oh, how we laugh, obviously. Um, I think that's really powerful, though, because that the communication, the accumulation of memories, does that allow you to get those? I mean, you've just said aim high, reach for small things, and celebrate the wins. Um, is that those sort of memories that help that? And how do you apply those sorts of things when you're thinking? Yeah, to me, talking to, to people, because you, 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 you still help. Yeah, to me, it totally gets you to remember why you value life and why you're going to aim high in this situation, and and you know, and then when it's hard, why you're going to just keep persisting and do the little next thing and the little next little next thing because you you've got all this inherent value of of life, of you, and your identity, and and so sometimes if we're go, just going through life, we're not noticing those things that that we're doing. Um, you know, or not reminding ourselves of the little achievements, then they're a bit harder to pull on. We can still pull them, but you know, when you are generating amazing memories, like you know, Andrew it was Andrew Glass, Glassy, and you know, taking his son off to PNG, you're making this amazing memory. That these are the things you can come back to in the, the moments of need. You know, um, is it um, Penny Mallory when you know running marathons or doing this or you know get through that hard thing? They, you know, doing boxing, James, like you've done. I mean, I wouldn't put myself in the boxing ring. I um, obviously think I'm too much of a winger or something as opposed to a forward. Um, but you know, the things you've put yourself into 
they're what are going to drive you in those tough moments and, and knowing you've got through them and you value them, I think, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you've got to push yourself. And sometimes it's going to sound like a complete cliche, but you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and pushing yourself because that's how you learn, that's how you develop. And it, yes. and it doesn't matter if it goes wrong. You know, as long as you learn from it, then you, you push on again. Yeah, so I talk a lot about that, you know, embracing the uncertainty of a situation and it helped me at the very start when they, you know, uh, I was pushing for that certainty because I was so panicked and, you know, the line was, you know, well, every spinal cord injury is unique. So I go, well, okay, every recovery can be unique. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still struggle with it today, you know, that um, the idea of, you know, something's uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. Okay, well, let's go back, Mark. Let's think about all those times you push yourself into a difficult, uncomfortable situation. Actually, really great things came of that. You didn't, you know, often things you didn't ever predict or, um, you know, you discovered stuff you didn't know there would be there or you created an impact you didn't realize would be there. You know, remember that and that visualizing of why you'd put yourself into the discomfort really helps you do it. Mm-hmm. So would you do anything differently? <laughs> well, I don't think life works like that. You've got one real choice. I mean, in terms of the um, the recovery, I think, you know, I've, I've, it's certainly through to the, the point in time of starting to concentrate in the book. I probably, you know, threw everything at it and did it really well. But, yeah, life in life in total, um, you, I can only make the – I can only respond to the question based on everything yeah. I've lived to this point in my life. So I can't do things differently. But if I was to say one thing, particularly when I was at – university that's sort of 17 to 20 um years old for me um at times like i'd be um i don't know you'd uh, you know early relationships with girls etc and you just didn't communicate you you had fears about the relationship or um you know the, the i guess the seriousness of it or other things and you just ran i ran from the situation often i think rather than actually sharing what i was feeling and so I don't think I'd look back at life and say I'd change events or whatever because you just can't. But yeah, I'd, you know, having learned what I've learned, I'd probably push people to wherever possible just try and share, share, even share how you're feeling. You know, just a little bit more and um, open up and practice opening up because we have good experiences about opening up from an earlier age. Then we're more likely to seek help when we, you know, at any point in time we need it because we've had positive experiences of opening up about our feelings and it doesn't need to be, you know, um, um, like a really big event, but just even just talking through why you're, you know, feeling a bit scared about this, you know, romantic situation or this friendship situation or whatever else, just by talking through it, um, you know, I, th- I think you start to, you know, bring those feelings to the surface and understand them better. And I think that's probably the thing I've most really had to try and practice to do at times it was hard through this uh, through this experience so i'm i'm listen i'm very conscious it's friday or come out to friday night in brisbane uh your weekend yes. to start one last question if i may please what do you like your legacy to be just a small question for you <laughs> yeah i think um you know, i just really want to be just remembered as being for human being decent and uh and caring about people having some generosity um, in key moments, I think that's it. I mean, you're right. Obviously, written the book with the idea of you know perhaps that can just impact a few lives, and you never know where those lives will go if you have a positive impact on them. Um, but again, that's not in my control. I can't predict how that'll go. That I, I just can work on the things I can 
can, can control, which is, you know, how people perceive me and how I behave in most situations. And if I can make, get that to the full on the, the side of generous and kind and decent, um, more often than not, and people sort of associate those values with me, that would be amazing. It must be awesome though, to hear back from people that read the book with comments saying, look, Mark, you've got me X, Y, Z. It must be awesome to hear that, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you start with just this um, shallow, superficial, is probably a better word, idea of helping a few people um, with no real perspective that that might really be genuine serious level help of people and the emails that come back you know particularly the the, the year the book came out you know just to, probably the first six months in particular like every three weeks or something like um you know people where that had a very terrible situation happen to them and and the book had somehow helped them through that situation um yeah just incredible so yeah um but but People did that to me, right? People come into hospital when I was at my lowest and found a way to do it to me too. So it's happening all the time. We just sometimes, you know, come back to this, celebrate everything, celebrate everything. And maybe it's not being celebrated enough. And hopefully the book at least just does a little bit more of that. Good. No, thank you very, very much for your time. Really, really appreciate that. Very, very oh, loved it. No, that's really, really good. Uh, absolute pleasure to be on, Michael and James. And uh, yeah, no, I love what you're doing. And you know, I think, um, you know, life, life can be a bit rough at times, but we can all find our way through it. And if we help each other out, then uh, you know, it's just amazing the lots of great memories we can have and the fun and the joy. And ultimately, if we just look for that joy in life, it can be pretty special. I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast with Mark. As always, remember to like, subscribe and follow. Thanks again for listening.